What's good, devs? 3,000 plus listens and 19 episodes later, here we are at episode 20 of the Game Developers Podcast Out of Play Area, where we feature fellow Full Sail alumni and Bungie Boomerang, design director at Bungie on Destiny, Ryan Parody. Ryan and I both graduated from Full Sail's Game Dev program way back in 2006, and we finally got to work together as designers on Red Dead Redemption 1, the Undead Nightmare Hit DLC, GT5, before he made the move up to Seattle to be a designer on Bungie for Destiny, after which he made the jump over to 343 to work on Halo Infinite, and now he's boomerang back to Bungie as a design director. While a bunch has changed since we recorded this episode way earlier in the year, we still get into all the things, leadership, design, game development, and what it means to be a great team. Please welcome the amalgamation of upstate New York, rustic Maine, and Florida, Senor Ryan Parody. Let's start the show. Bienvenido, bienvenue. Welcome to the Out of Play Area podcast, a show by video game devs for game devs, where the guests open up one-on-one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. Where are your roots? Where's your family? Where's your stomping ground? So my my mom's side of the family is from French Canada, from Quebec. Shout out to Quebecois. Yep, they moved down to Rustic, Maine. So just like imagine the most northern tip of anything you could possibly have in the most northern state you could possibly have. Like that's Rustic, Maine. Yep. Uh, and my my grandparents lived there until their until their dying days. Uh, my mom then. Met my dad in Syracuse, New York, so upstate New York, uh, and moved down to Florida. And I lived, I grew up in Florida. I grew up in Florida, so I've learned everything about Florida, man. Like, I could embody that <laughs> if I wanted to make the news, but I'm not going to make the news in that way. Um, but I've, I've bounced between Syracuse and New York and Aristoc, Maine, uh, including like some very near the borders in Senegat and. Fort Kent, Presque Isle, Caribou, like some northern hubs of Maine, I guess. So I'm, you know, New York City native, stomping grounds, left to finish college in full in Florida. But I was so mad that a five, six hour drive north or one hour flights, you know, 18 years of age, anything goes in beautiful <laughs> Montreal, man, like for, for a fraction of the cost of the dollar, right? Like, all these amazing things. Why didn't I have any friends that knew or would tell me be like, yo, bro, let's, let's go over the border into Quebec and have a good time. So I, I understand that's more of an upstate thing. Like you grow up in Syracuse or Buffalo and that's Mm -hmm. just your jam. Like you go across the border. I've never experienced that myself. Really? I've never been across the border to Toronto or you grew up in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. By the time I, I knew what's what I was already in Florida Mm. Uh, but I hear that you can get some Labatt blue, uh, and then go across the border and get some, uh, what, what do Canadians drink? Molson? Molson. 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 Uh, you get some Molson 
Molson, owned by, owned by Anheuser Busch. So here's another thing to throw onto the bucket list of shit to do is Microsoft has Compulsion Games, EA has Motive. So Compulsion is like what we happy few, and they're working on some other things, and then we have Motive, and I think mm-hmm. they they put out Squadrons. So at some point, somehow, some way, I think they have MIGs, right? Montreal Independent Games Summit. Yep. We need we need to somehow converge whenever the world is safe to travel again to be like, hey, I'm going to Montreal on some EA business. You're going to Montreal on some Microsoft business. Hopefully it aligns. We're promoting some game Oof. and we can we can get out and chop it up with my wife's roots and your mother's side of the family blood and, and enjoy Montreal. That'd be fantastic. That would be fantastic. That would be that would be a good time. Awesome, See some man. Canada, but get the real family roots. Play, play with some colored money. You know. <laughs> Look, I'm not gonna lie. Canada has some funny feeling money. I don't know if it's because <laughs> it's our like money feels like clothing, it's and their paper. money feels like probably more like legit paper. But <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's it's American money is made out of cotton. Canadian mm. money is made out of petroleum. So. Oh, I didn't know the differences there. I got some concoctions going on. I'm curious what you ended up bringing down into the recording studio with you. I always like to rock a rye old-fashioned. It's my go-to. It's a little spicy, a little sweet. I don't do the cherry, mainly because I'm out of cherries, but also just not my thing. Cherries are not your thing? Not in the old-fashioned, no. You're out of them because you hit them hard every single day or <laughs> you haven't re- re- replenished, you haven't restocked? No, this is not an everyday drinker, John. This is for you. This is oh, just man. for you. I feel special. I feel good about this one, Ryan, because I've done them over the weekend and it's a different vibe. And I've done them on long work days where I'm kind of drained, but talking to the person kind of replenishes me and refuels me. And I'm an introvert, right? But seeing an old face, talking war stories replenishes me. But today... I actually got some sweet shit done at work, so I feel kind of pumped. Nice, nice. You know that feeling when you finish some shit, you put the bow on it, you check it in, you you fix your little submission notes, and it's in there. It's like no matter what happens, you can break it. Well, I did get a little warning that says, like, build is clean, but now it's, like, stamped forever. It's safe. That's not a warning you generally see. Like, hey, build's good. This is just a warning. (laughs) What are you drinking, John? I got a white rum. It's like okay. a little French Caribbean joint, a Clément. I was inspired today to come and do a little Cuba Libre action, which nice. is just a rum and coke with some lime and sugar, right? That's all it is. Have you ever been to the place in Capitol Hill? I want to say it's Roomba. What street? It's on a Pine Pike. On the main, Pine. on the main vein. Yeah, yeah, and it's just a sweet little Caribbean joint, but it's a rum bar. So they have oh. just tons and tons and tons of rums, uh, and they make some killer drinks there. Dude, remember when you you had just moved here? I think you had just picked up the job with Bungie, mm-hmm. and I met you and Laura on the hill at a spot like not too far from like Unicorn or or whatnot. But I did don't remember. You, did we take you to Americana? Was that it? Ooh, it might have been Americana. It might have been. Yeah, I, I have a feeling because we were we were definitely on the small table on the wall. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they come out with like, uh, they roll out this sweet truffle popcorn. That, that place is no more, my friend. When did you go last? Because I get my hair cut by there. 
and I'm pretty sure they are doing limited seating. I haven't been there in a while, but last I saw in The Stranger, that was one of the places that didn't make it through COVID. Maybe we took you to a different place? Well, Americana, I, I go there for brunch. I will. In the before days. <laughs> the long, in, long ago. In the long, long ago. That was a, a frequent brunch place because it, it had the, the sweet bacon in like any drink and Bloody Marys and uh, awesome omelets and all the good things, all the good brunch things. Catherine loved the mimosas. But that was a fond memory. I was visiting Seattle. I was in between work, right? It was life after Rockstar. Not sure where the <laughs> hell I'm going to be. And you had already discovered the golden land Outside of Rockstar, right? I think you were one of the first guys to make the jump to yep. Seattle from the GTA 5 team. Well, there was Danny. Danny left to go to Bungie just before me. Not just before me. He'd been there a bit then. And through talking to him for a while, you know, after we shipped GTA 5, it was it was just the right time to make a move. And mm-hmm. Bungie sounded like and was an amazing place. Yeah, dude. I mean, shit. I mean, if you're a Halo fan, yeah, that's the spot. And then was Destiny already out? Or no. okay, but no, did you know that was going out or coming or what? Well, they had just released the trailer featuring their public event with all the Guardians fighting yeah. the, the spider tank. Oh yeah, it was like five on spider, or yeah. it was like it was like four on spider, and then the fifth guy drops in, right? And yep. he's like, "Let's go!" So everyone was just like, "What is this Destiny thing? This looks amazing!" and and yeah. uh yeah it was it was a really cool place to be i loved working there how big was it when you got there oh geez i want to say i was like number 440 something 450 something so it was it was a big studio uh and it was that was quite daunting coming from rockstar you know we peaked over 200 in san diego offices at one point but at the peak yeah at the heart of red dead yeah oh man mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are crazy days. <laughs> Seems like forever ago, man. Seems it like does. forever ago. Dude, someone from Full Sail was talking to me. Christina Meyer from Full Sail was talking to me. Uh, she's been out of Full Sail for a bit. And uh, she made me realize that uh, I've been doing this for almost 15 years now. This is my 15th year. Ooh-wee. Hey, I'll throw one up to that, man. Cheers hey, to your cheers 15 to years in the game, bro. The hair's not completely gray yet, and it's mostly still there. So Yeah, you're looking good, man. I'm rocking more hats in my Zoom meetings these days. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I get that for sure. Stress does something to you. It does something to you. <laughs> I think this is going to be awesome, bro. I think I think you're one of the few organic people that just kind of came up in, in one of our little catch-ups. And I was like, hey, you want to do the thing? You want to come on the little podcast and share your tail? Whoa. So, so Bola... No, Bola didn't recommend me. Uh, I don't know if you've had Barossa, but Zipman? Come on. He didn't even give me a shout out. That guy. So to be fair, you definitely come up in conversation in, in a bunch of the episodes that are on the way out. Okay, well, now I'm scared. <laughs> and I don't think, yeah, by the time this comes out, it will be public knowledge. But Nick tagged DJ, so he picked DJ over you. That's fine. Those guys have always had a special bond, Nick and DJ, and I love them both. Those guys yeah, are awesome. Dude. If I got to take a backseat to somebody, I'm okay with it being DJ. Yeah, he's a good guy. I haven't talked to him in forever, man. We got to link up, man. I hope as this shit grows, I would love to do some more panel style or just like group events. I don't know. Best of Pacific Northwest podcast oh, series. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah, like do a recap episode or something, a reaction episode. Who knows? Yeah. Get Barasa in here. We got Bola. 
you know, Nick, DJ, you, me. Riccio's up here, man. Alan as well. Oh, jeez, yeah. Barton. Barton, yeah, he's out on the islands. I heard Lino's around here somewhere, lurking. I know he comes and goes, and I know Laura talks to him a bit. He's got to be around. I'm pretty sure he's around. It's hard to know anymore now that we all just work out of basements oh. and broom closets. Where where are you at right now? What part of the big state of Washington are you coming at me from? I am hailing to you from Snoqualmie, Washington, where it is a sunny... No, it's, it's pitch black outside, and it's 40 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Even if the sun was here, you wouldn't see it behind all the clouds, so... How's your day, man? What what are you up to these days in the life after Bungie? Today was a pretty solid day. I got to get a lot of good stuff done today. I had a lot of good meetings. I am currently sitting in the role as live design director on Halo Infinite at 343 Industries. That's a dream. The director role, Halo Infinite, right? Like the world <laughs> is waiting eagerly for this game. They all got their Series X and Series S's and Game Passes. If they can find them. <laughs> <laughs> I got my people waiting, but I did manage to pick up a Series S, right? So at least I got I got that coming Congrats. in a week or so. Congrats. Oh, it feels good. Yeah, man. If you had told just fresh entering the games industry me almost 15 years ago now, like, hey, someday you're going to have ping pong through some of the coolest companies and dream titles from red dead redemption to gta 5 to destiny destiny 2 into halo infinite i would have peed myself or something i don't know <laughs> that's a very real thing right like go back in time and talk to young ryan parody in high school i don't even know what you're playing at the time man what is the world of games to you at this time like same time 20 years ago Oh, man, 20 years ago. 2000. Ryan, 2000. Man, I want to go back and say that that was around StarCraft. Oh, you are a crafter. Oh, yeah, I played a lot of StarCraft. I remember a carton, my PC over to my buddy's house who lives right up the road. And we used to just land StarCraft with a crossover cable because that's, that's how you did those things back then. Yeah, like, man. It's like five pins instead of the six or whatnot, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Like, you could hop on Battle.net or all that, but Battle.net was still, like, nascent. In its infancy. Oh, yeah. It was mm -hmm. we had, It was totally a baby. We had M-Player. I remember that because I played a lot of MechWarrior 2 as well. I got a buddy, uh, Matt Udvari, who worked on MechWarrior 2, and I think he'll be coming on in a couple of weeks. I put thousands of hours into MechWarrior <laughs> 2. So you tell Matt that, and I was still, like, the worst member of my clan. But uh, I put so much time into that game. A labor of love, man. I remember closing out high school with my best buddy playing uh, Star Wars Galaxies. Oh, my God. Oh. That consumed so much of my life. And I still love that game to this day, even though I've not yet tried to hop on any emulated servers or anything. So you managed to jump on games that you were a fan of, right? I think that's rare in this industry, right, is to be able to jump into behind the scenes and get to build on the games that you would play, the games that, that you're making games for yourself, right? It's rare. It's a feast. And it's something to not take lightly, for sure. I've been super fortunate all throughout my career to land at companies where I get to make games I want to play. And that mm -hmm. is literally Bungie's like internal slogan is we make games we want to play. And I have not had a misstep yet, knock on wood. They've all been amazing titles. Halo is definitely one of those franchises. To be honest, it's one of those things. And it's right next to like fighting games for me, right? Where 
I love it too much that I don't want to go behind the curtain on. That is a danger. I've talked about this before, but like I've I've definitely played all the games I've worked on, but I've also struggled to do that all the time. Like I think in Red Dead for the longest time, once I got to Mexico, I just got overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I guess like I mm-hmm. just couldn't do it anymore. I, I really struggled to play through the rest of the game, even though I loved the game. Same with GTA. Like I've not beaten GTA five to this day. I've played a lot of online. I've played the campaign numerous times, but I've never actually beaten the full thing it's the thing with these open world games like i I don't know the scientific term for it but there is something about it's too big and you can see it in the production too right like we focus easily 50 60 percent of production on the first quarter of the game because that's what most players see yeah, I think statistics show that like only I want to say less than twenty percent of players actually beat your game. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's even smaller than ten percent. Yeah. So what is it like being a live design director over there, man? Right now it's kind of crazy because we haven't yet shipped the game, so sure, there's a sure. lot of uh, it's a little nebulous, a little floaty, and a lot of people talk about it in the world like, well, what are we doing for sustain or? post-release or how are we keeping the game alive like what is what is our engagement win back you know attrition all these metrics we're tracking we still haven't released yet so how do you talk about the future of the game when you don't know what day one looks like yet yeah and that's the most terrifying part of being alive (laughs) is like your whole future is a live game depends on day one kicking some major ass which you know, you know we're going to come. You know everybody with the console and people who are only getting the console for that are going to be there. They're going to be there salivating. I hope so, because that's going to make it way easier to plan for the future. And we've got a pretty pretty bright future planned out right now. So I think things are looking really good, but it's, it's a lot of predictions. It's a lot of mm. like, well, we need the game to do X, Y, and Z. We need to target these audiences. We, we want to be positioned like this for the best success and to do the right yeah. thing for the fans. Like that's really what it's all about is, is yeah, sure. I talk a lot of metrics, engagements and, and activations, winbacks, so on and so forth. But at the crux of it all, like when you're talking as a design group, nobody's talking about that nobody's talking about mtx dollars people are talking about like what is the best player experience what is the right thing to do for the fans how do we get this in their hands earlier and how do we make it better for them and i'm not just i'm not just grandstanding or placating fans here i'm literally saying like that's what our conversations are zeroed in on because all too often you know as the live game you get that rap of this is the team that's going to microtransaction us to death or oh they they only pulled this out of the game to make money on it no that that conversation never really comes up like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure you've seen this in the industry too like developers rarely sit around and say like well how do we make more money off this like no, no that's man. not the conversation we're gamers too yeah we make games we want to play <laughs> yeah it's about building content that's compelling enough for you to keep coming back to and stepping you through that right like giving you a chance to grow giving you a chance to see things in other peers that are again dumping a bunch of hours in right that kind of pull you in and the balance too right there's that balance of like you're in a clan you're in a group and you got the op max level people and you're kind of coming in fresh right like how do we balance that experience for you how do we make sure you're having a good enough time that you want to make this game your third place? Uh-huh. 
And I'm borrowing that from one of my favorite friends and mentors, Emmy Chung, who's always called it that. It's like, you have your first place, you know, work. You have your second place, home. You got to have a third place, your social space, your place to unwind, your place to just be with your friends and do whatever you want to do. And I know that that's a very foreign concept right now with COVID. <laughs> We're not allowed to be with our friends and do anything we want to do, but it's... Yeah. If you, if you look inward, it's actually a really important concept. It's time to yourself to recharge and not focus on a task at hand. Yeah. It's super important as a human being to have that. Oh, hell yeah, man. And I think a lot of us are realizing that at this time. So shout out to Emma, man. I think that's a powerful one. I haven't really heard that before. Like, we want to be your third space. To be fair, all the AAA studios are trying to get into that land grab of like, be the live game that everybody hangs out in when they're not working and when they're not doing the family thing, right? So it's pretty cool to wrap it around, hey, your third space, your third happy place kind of thing. Yeah, it's been insane to kind of watch the industry, you know, I say watch the industry do this. It's not like this is a sudden thing either. If you look back to, to the MUDs, the Moos, even early EverQuest, that was all about establishing that third place. Yeah. That third place for you to just have your social hub to sit, unwind, and, you know, do your thing. And it's a, new, it's a neutral ground. Like, there's no expectations of you. You're just there, home away from home. Often been a thing, but I think more so recently, it's kind of become a games industry, like a, a known thing. And yeah, it's it's totally apt for what modern games are trying to do. Your Fortnites, your, your Apexes, your Leagues. Like, yeah, sure, they all feel sweaty, but there's also this this version of those where it's just like, no, I'm just here and I'm being me and I'm socializing. I'm hopefully playing with friends because that's the best possible experience for any game, really. Yeah, where your friend's hanging out at. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. What's it like? I think director is definitely an aspiration. I think there's a fork, right? You can either go down the IC, you know, I want to be senior, I want to be principal, whatever. Or you can go down the people manager side, right? Hey, I want to direct, I want to manage, I want to lead a team. So being on that director side and leading a team, what does that entail, right? Is it Does it mean like full hands off and you're just kind of shepherding and guiding and leading meetings and managing time? Or are you a little hands on? Or how, how does that look like in your current role? That for me was the hardest jump in my whole career to make from the senior to lead I see basically just crushing content and getting cool things in the game all the time. And there's the natural inclination to want to promote, want to be better, want to do a bigger job, have a bigger role, attend more meetings for some reason. <laughs> I love when you started the, the, the whole conversation by saying, yo, I had awesome meetings today. It, it's rare. <laughs> But it's great to hear that. It's great to hear that that exists, especially middle of the week. No, I have a really good team, so that that definitely helps. But yeah, in the games industry, and I think this is changing now, but when I was kind of rising through the ranks, that was the promotion path of like, yeah, you do really good at executing content. You're really killing it here. We want to give you some reports, Mm -hmm. more responsibilities. You're going to lead a team. You're going to direct a team. Like, that right there was the curve. There was no, or it was rare to see someone who was like, I want to go into expert IC. I want to be a principal as a designer. It's true. That was common for programmers. That was common for artists. But for designers, like what what exactly is a principal designer? I think now the industry is starting to get it, or at least 
more places are starting to get it, that that is a valid career path. Like you can have a guy who just crushes content and he doesn't need to have uh, a team under him. As a matter of fact, that'll detract from what he does. I've definitely felt it. I've definitely seen it. I mean, I may have been on a team or two with you where it was like the best guy at crushing content does not necessarily make the best people manager. No. Matter of fact, rarely makes the best people manager. (laughs) So it's great that the industry, as people have matured and, hey, man, I've been here for 10, 12, 15 years. Where do I go? And don't pigeonhole me to force me to manage a bunch of direct reports, right? And then hate my life and hate my job. So I'm glad that we're seeing that split happen and I'm being identified as as creating these roles. Absolutely. And coming up through the ranks, like I said, I struggled at that the hardest because I did the route into management because the other route was fuzzy or or not super well planned for. And I remember all through my, my lead career at Bungie, like the common thread I got in every single review was, hey, you know, you could be a better lead if you just took your hands off the content a little bit more and did your job properly. (laughs) And it wasn't wrong. No, I'm I'm glad they called that out because usually what I've seen, to be fair, is like you have to do two jobs, right? Like, and And that's totally unfair. That's totally unfair and not sustainable. No, that's that's the road to burnout right there. Doing more than one person is capable of doing. Like, that's inhuman. Mm Mm-hmm. You, you could be an awesome lead, but you're still doing, you know, an IC role and you really shouldn't be doing that. You need to be focusing over here. And it's still to this day, like you, you mentioned it at the beginning there, like I still have to have my hands on something. Sure. Whether it just be specking or even some very light technical work, which is super infrequent now because, like I said, I have an awesome team that kind of kills it. I just have to have my hands on something. Otherwise, I go a little crazy. That's cool. So it's your choice to still be hands-on, but your, your top priority is managing the team. Definitely. Awesome. So making it to director, managing a team, fighting your urges to be hands-on and, and do two roles, just because it's always been something you did, right? It sounds like there's a delicate balancing act, right? Of wanting to do everything to make the project the best it can be, wanting to throw it all on your back and then getting to a situation where like, yo, I need vacation. I got to move jobs. I, you know, I'm doing too much. I'm burnt out kind of thing. I think that's a valuable experience to share with all of us in this industry, right? Is is that fine line between balancing, giving it all you got, but sustainability, especially in these live games, right? These games are just going to keep going. How do you sustain? I generally hate the word sustain as it pertains to live because that is- <laughs> That implies that the game, like you're just maintaining the status quo and that's all you need to do. Like that's never the case. It's true. At a more personal stake, like sustaining personally is difficult because, and you know this, like the games industry is a passion driven industry. Yeah. Everyone is here because they want to do it. They're not here because it makes them the best money or because it's the most stable lifestyle or or anything else. As a matter of fact, when you get into this industry, you're basically told, like, you're going to work some extra hours here and there. It's going to be tough sometimes. But, you know, we try and maintain, like, a healthy work-life balance here. And that's generally true. Companies do try and do that for their employees. But employees don't always do that for themselves. People are bad at recognizing and balancing their passion with their responsibilities. 
And yeah, it really stinks to see it because that leads to super early burnout in the industry. And I've gone through it myself where you just need a month off. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge amount of time, but you need some time off. I had a great design manager at Bungie who recognized it in me. His name was Johnny Ebert. He saw it in me. He saw like, I just had a kid at the time. I was still working on the live game. And he came to me one evening, I think it was like six or seven maybe eight o'clock at night. And he's like, dude, we need you to take some time. We need you to take some time for yourself. Why don't you just take this amount of time off and, and go be with your family and, and just relax and unwind for a bit there? Because I was tired. I had a kid at home. I was burnt. Like you called it out, it's a live game. It's nonstop. There's never an awesome downbeat to like, oh, I'm going to unplug just right now for like a couple weeks. Like, no, you don't get to do that. We need you. <laughs> But it's, it's super important as a as a human being to see that in yourself and literally tell your boss, your manager, your peers, like, hey, guys, I really need to take some time because I'm not operating at 100%. And I promise you, if I take this time, I'll be back at 100% and we'll be able to keep going. But you need time to be a human. I like that. It's a passion-based industry. At the end of the day, it is still a job. And you, you can't let your job erode your passion for the very thing you're doing. That is the worst position to be in. Yeah, you can perform heroics and you can be the hero at the job and like really crush content and everyone will love you for it, but you're not going to love yourself. <laughs> like you're going to come out, you're going to be tired and feel gross and you're not going to be ready to do it again in a couple weeks. It's easy in your 20s. It's super easy. I always make the joke that we're essentially bulletproof in our 20s. Like, I don't know how we can survive off the little sleep we did and go out and, and hang out and still maintain relationships and then come back to work and do the thing we did. Right? Like, I can only attribute that to, hey, that's the shit you do in your 20s. In your 30s, I don't know how we did those nights at like, yeah, we're going to work until whenever it's dark outside. Who knows? And then, yeah, let's all go down to D Street. It's what, Tuesday? Yeah, we'll be it's fine. Tuesday. We'll be fine <laughs> in the morning. You know, out till 2 a.m., waking up at 7 and rolling back into the office and pulling another long day as we're trying mm -hmm. to ship the game, you know? We did that way too much. And I, I couldn't do that now. I'd yeah. die. <laughs> That's definitely a viable team building managerial tactic, right? Is to be like, all right, I need to take my team out to blow off steam. Let's take them out to unwind in whatever situation that may be, right? Like I think there's some new axe throwing gyms out there, right? In the before times is people like to drink, people like to dance, what have you, right? I think it's totally viable to help people blow off steam um, and get out of the office. Now that we're home, it's too damn easy to stay plugged in. Uh, you know, like, hey, I'm going to roll out of bed. I'm going to go plug in. Hey, I'm having dinner with the family. Oh, I got an email. Let me go answer this. Let me go jump on this thing. So that that's something careful. I, I, I really love that you had your boss, your manager, catch that and come to you and tell you, yo, Ryan, you got to unplug, bro. You just had a kid. You need to take time. That's super valuable because that's something that usually falls on the employee to call out, right? The industry of the project will keep taking everything you got to give until you raise a hand and be like, I need help. I need the time. 
can we hire another hand? Can we contract? You know, things like this are definitely always on the table. Don't think that those are not valid options or that makes you less capable. That's exactly it. If you work for a good place, you have a great manager, a good boss. That's the kind of person you should be capable of going to and saying like, hey, dude, I can't. Mm -hmm. And when you say that, they should be capable of listening and not it shouldn't trigger this gut visceral reaction of like, what do you mean you can't? Like, no, we're we're all humans here. Like, I've been lucky to have some stellar managers through my time at Rockstar, at Bungie, and, and moving into 343. Like, I've always had people who have looked out for me as a person. Mm-hmm. But the number one thing they've always told me is, hey, look out for yourself as a person too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and to be fair, take ownership of your life. You know what I'm saying? Like, the manager only knows as much as you share with them. And to your point... They're always going to be open, should be open. Sometimes it may come as a shock, right? It may come out of left field and all of a sudden they have this roadmap and the schedule in place. Now they have to shift things around. But much like anything, right? Walk through it together. Step through that. Yeah, exactly. Have you had to do any kind of like crazy rescheduling or rebalancing or allocating resources or opening up a headcount or anything like that? We have to reschedule all the time because you develop your schedule in a vacuum. To some extent, like I think everyone plans the future thinking that like, well, it's going to be perfect. (laughs) Everything's going to be built in in sequence and it's going to be all good. And all these words I'm writing on paper right now, they will come to fruition. Like, no, they won't. No, they will not. Every game, every game I've ever been on, like you have those tough conversations about like, well, you know, we thought we could do X, Y, and Z, but actually it turns out the workflow was harder. Or, you know, X, Y, and Z, like this person had to be gone. He had a kid. Like, I don't yeah. know how we didn't schedule that. Like this year in COVID, midwinter break snuck up on a lot of people. That's the the weird week that kids get off now that you and I probably never got, but kids get now. When's that, like February? Yeah. You get off Christmas, you go back to school for half a minute, and then you get another week off because of reasons that snuck up on some of my team and that's real life man that's what happens so yeah it's you go back to the drawing board on some things you you made some promises you can't keep and that's just the way it is like maybe i've cut so many things in my roles in this industry that i'm kind of immune to the like what do you mean we're cutting this Every junior game developer goes through that. Like, oh, we're cutting, we're scaling back. No, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to do this. I promise you we're going to get it done. I don't want to cut anything. Cutting is the scariest thing in the beginning. After 15 years, you're like, oh, we're cutting that? All right, cool. Let's put it on the backlog. Maybe we'll bring it back later. Who knows? And if it was that important from the get-go, you'd shuffle things around. But if if it's not, or if you can afford to, yeah, put it on the backlog. We'll get there someday. For sure. In this age of patching and live updates, right, you build these games because people are going to be playing them for a while and they'll, they'll come back to them. So it's not the end of the world to cut. And in fact, for some reason, it feels like it's this like well-kept secret. Like, oh my God, we can cut? And then like, <laughs> and then our schedule all of a sudden fits, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, I don't understand why that's always a surprise spade up the sleeve to a lot of teams that have been doing this for so many years. Man, it it still stings every team every time because people use the word cut. And I think that that 
it has this emotional visceral reaction of like we're cutting especially when it's your feature right or your content i guess that's it like it's your baby like no Mm -hmm. one wants to send their baby down the river (laughs) and you called it out like games are never really done nowadays and it's Mm -hmm. scary and terrifying like i am playing right now a three-year-old game kingdom come deliverance okay and it is a single player open world game another one that i've never actually beaten but it's a it's basically set in like 15th century Prague, I want to say. Ooh, Prague's a great game world, man. Not enough people build stuff. Well, it's like, imagine you have Skyrim. Okay. Only there's no dragons, zombies, spells, monsters, or or mythical elements. It's real world Prague. Okay. So you're some farm boy wielding a sword and learning as you go. And it's insanely hard. But it's also a lot of fun. And the reason I mention this is because they're still patching this game. Because games are never done nowadays. It's a phenomenal game. It looks gorgeous. Even though it was made three years ago, I still can't run it at max settings on my rig. That's Warhorse Studios out of uh, Prague. Yep. Prague and the Czech Republic. Make what you know. Yeah, and it's a phenomenal game, but they're still supporting it. There's no live elements. There's no multiplayer. There is nothing of the sort. But they're still rolling out patches and updates for this content. I just bought all the DLC the other day. You're their whale. (laughs) Games aren't ever done. You can cut something, and like I said, it's never cut. It's just put on the backlog until such a date when we can Mm -hmm. actually realize that vision. That's how you maintain your community, right? You keep showing them that you're listening to them to improve the game. And then hopefully word of mouth spreads and more people come to the game. This studio out of Prague, like, I'm excited for what they're doing next. Like, I'm probably going to buy it day one because I'm still playing the last thing they did. It's crazy. I typed in Warhorse Studios and the first Google autocomplete thing was like, next game, right? So I think... (laughs) That's a popular thing people are typing into the to the AI gods. Man, it's it's a good feeling to be at that level of desirability. Oh yeah, all the top searches are like, what are they doing now? Yeah, What's yeah. their next game? Will there be a Kingdom Come Deliverance 2? There you go. Yeah, man, because it's it's an awesome game. I strongly recommend it if you're into that open world IRL kind of vibe. <laughs> hey bro, you know a thing or two about open worlds. You're on Halo. You've worked on a bunch of Destinies and DLCs, GTA 5, Red Dead. I think you have very special insight on the design thinking and how that changes between those vastly different worlds, right? So curious to get your thoughts or takes of how you approach designing content for a single player open world versus shared world shooters. I think you put me onto that, right? Because I would have called Destiny <laughs> like an MMO FPS kind of thing. And you schooled me. You called it shared world shooter. Shared world shooter. I haven't even heard that the acronym, bro. SW. US that that could that can catch on yeah it's it's becoming more of a thing now I think it would have been more had Anthem uh done something different <laughs> bro that hits me right in the heart man did you work on Anthem I did not work on Anthem oh, but, but I, I, I got I got <laughs> I got in and I'm like yo bro how can I support you guys on Anthem let me know how I can support because that Iron Man-esque feeling is mm-hmm. like first of its kind right like Let's go. And, you know, when, they, you know, nobody was telling me anything, you know, those like closed door meetings. And then they make the announcement where it's like, yeah, we're not going to support it anymore. It's like, no, no, man. So working on Destiny at the time, like that game coming out as a shared world shooter into the future was 
simultaneously like a really cool thing to see and a really terrifying thing to see because destiny <laughs> had largely reigned supreme at that point you had the division was there too division got me for a bit man i was digging division just because it was in new york right yeah i've dug in super hard on both division one and two but it's always a very short period of time mm -hmm. and then it's kind of like well I felt what this game had to do, and I've moved on. Like, I've, I've yep. gone to pick up something else. But yeah, Shared World Shooter, I think, is a super popular and underexplored game genre. Yeah, man. It's young. It's less than 10 years old. It's young. But Destiny is... is it's been really cool to see that and have taken part in multiple aspects of the development of Destiny there. Like, I bounced ar around a lot at Bungie. yeah. Yeah, because I, I started there in the open world. Yeah, I thought you were like a sandbox designer. No, no, I could never I could never do weapon balance and tuning. Like, there's such a good team that's in charge of that uh, okay. over there. Like, I would you, never they hold have a, a candle uh, to anyone there. They have a bubble shield around them. No, don't mess don't mess up the, the mojo. They just know exactly what they're doing. And, like, you can make suggestions, but they, they own their craft. Um, cool. So, yeah, at Bungie... I came on board originally because of my open world experience at Rockstar. Yeah. Uh, I came on board originally to uh, do more of open world systems kind of things. Mm -hmm. So my onboarding was That's like... a good fit. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty solid fit because I'd had good experience in Red Dead and then moving into GTA V, like I maintain most of the systems side of things. That seems tailor-made. Like if they were looking for that... And then you all of a sudden just hand in an application or something. It's like perfect fit. I like to think I got lucky, but maybe they got a little lucky too. Uh, <laughs> no, I came in originally to do that. And the very first thing I was handed was like, hey, we got this thing. It's called Patrols. Like, we don't know if it's going to make it. Take a crack at it. Let's see what happens. So my onboarding was basically that. Like, I'd learned a script a little bit in their proprietary language, and then I, I kind of just took on this thing of, like, all right, let's see what we can do out of this. And it eventually became, like, something we could ship super early, and that was that was exhilarating. Like, mm. I had a lot of freedom on that, thanks to my boss and, uh, and the organization writ large. But it was kind of my onboarding exercise, and it wow. super worked out. That's a hell of a, an opportunity right there. Yeah. That's kind of clever too, you know, from a managerial perspective to empower your new blood to be like, hey, here's this thing. It's all yours. If it makes it or gets cut, it's on you. We don't have any expectations. <laughs> Give it what you got. <laughs> You're going to get the best damn work <laughs> out of that guy. Like I said, I've had some really good bosses throughout my career. I've had a couple of bosses that I've butted heads with, but it's also helped me grow uh, a pretty good amount. So That's a good topic of conversation is um, constructive design discourse. I'm biased, right? I can only speak towards design. I haven't been too deep into engineering. I always feel like engineering is less subjective than design, right? It's like it's either super optimal down to the tick right or it's not right or it, it, it saves memory or it doesn't uh, those guys have their own art but uh it's certainly different it's a different language <laughs> no pun intended i like to get into this conversation with other senior veteran director people right like you kind of have the power to just put the foot down and be like hey i got seniority this is what we want to do right but actually 
some of the best decisions made in games comes from being forced to see things from a different perspective, right? Or try things that you didn't foresee being the right approach. Absolutely. Some of the best designs I've ever seen have been from either a designer who casts their net super wide, like gets literally everyone involved and not to like a design by committee situation, but just sources the best ideas from every single powerhouse peer they have. Or one of those ideas directly comes from someone in engineering, someone in QA, like oh, production yeah. or, or just an org you wouldn't expect yeah. Or an org you wouldn't commonly go for. Like, all too often, as the designer, you think you have to bear the weight of the ideas on your That's shoulders. True. Like, everything's got to come from me or I'm not doing my job. And, yeah. and I've got to be this awesome, like, visionary. And maybe that was true once upon a time. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, it's all about inclusive ideas and yeah. being sure we have a diverse idea set that we can draw from. And like I said, some of the best ideas do not come from the guy whose job it is to put the ideas on paper. They come from the world, from peers you wouldn't expect, from loved ones, like just off the wall sources. So it's your best designer is one who has an open mind, not one who is the star hero of like, no, I can do this all myself. Like, no, you can't. That's not the world we live in anymore. A million games sold isn't going to cut it for a AAA title. Like, you've that's got a flop. to have, That is, it's sad, but yeah, that's a flop for a truly AAA title. But when you have 500 people on it, of course that's a flop. <laughs> Yo, I, I love that, Ryan. I love that a lot, bro. I love you calling out the fact that in this day and age to encompass the largest player pool possible we want to include as many different voices and perspectives as possible and i've heard it said that like designers wear this producer hat and i've always wondered like hey what does that really mean and i think i'm seeing that more and more these days right where like as a designer we kind of play this glue role <laughs> where we're kind of trying to kind of bring out ideas from all the different areas and get them comfortable with sharing their ideas and being able to kind of bring that in and highlight it and empower that communication, right? To be like, hey, give me your ideas and watch them manifest themselves in the game, right? Like watch them contribute to the design, right? Creating that uh, open communication and, and, and nurturing that. I mean, you nailed it there. You took the words out of my mouth when you said the glue. Because best designer nowadays is not, not the idea guy. Idea guys are a dime a dozen. You'll encounter 30 of them on the walk to your base <laughs> as you go to work. <laughs> Uh, depending on where you live, like it might be, your house might be weird. But yeah, you're going to see idea guys all the time. There's no such thing as an idea designer anymore. No one cares. How often does that happen to you? And you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I make games. I'm like, oh, I got an idea for a game. You know, it's happened only a handful of times in my career. I have gotten pinged on LinkedIn a few times for like, hey, I have this awesome idea. And I want you guys to take it in x title but i want credit and i want to negotiate terms of my contract damn i gotta give it to him that's some chutzpah right there chutzpah i like that word first <laughs> time on the show chutzpah. chutzpah that's some drive right there but i hate to break it to those people but everyone has ideas i could go mm. to my grandma and get some cool ideas and that's not to say like i'm gonna arrive at your idea and your idea is garbage but it's more to say like people generate ideas left and right the job of the game designer 
is to absorb those ideas, sharpen them, and then write them down on paper in such a way that you can sell everyone on that vision and get the engineer excited about it. Get your client dev excited about it. Go get your services folks excited about it. Get your UX, UI people excited. Like generate such a buzz that this is no longer an idea. It's a must have. We gotta have it. Yeah, like that is what your job is. You are, oh God, you're a salesperson. Ugh, don't put it that way. No, it's it's not that because along the ride you have so much fun doing it. Like you're still True. generating cool ideas. It's it's fun. It's a fun job, but you have to be able to do the legwork. Like you can't just generate an idea and hope like, well, everyone's gonna see this and it's gonna be the greatest thing they've ever seen. Like, nah, they've probably thought of something similar to you, bro. Especially when you surround yourself with like a lot of veterans, right? A lot of people that have been doing this for a while. Absolutely. And every company's got their level of veterans. So every company's going to have those guys who, who are good at selling ideas or good at coming up with cool ideas, but it's, it's getting everyone on board. It's selling it. And then afterwards, after you've sold it and everyone wants to do it, it's making sure they're doing it. Yeah. Hey man, this thing we're doing, remember that thing? Like, well, your part was this and like, it's not doing that thing. So like, could you do it? (laughs) Uh, in a a super polite kind of way obviously but you've got to be the feature owner for that Mm -hmm. thing and make sure yeah make sure your baby gets out there in the best possible light because no one's going to be more excited about this than you period no matter how good you are at selling it that's true there is the possibility that someone can put it on their back burner right that is how the coolest pitches the coolest ideas die it's like, well, you know, we bought in 80% of the people, it's all in their backlogs and it's working, it's in flight, except this one super critical piece. And now they can't build that. I guess we have to back burner the whole thing. Jeez. And we'll deal with it in post-release. Like, well, <laughs> that stings. Like it stings not because it's going to come out a little later. It stings because to some extent you could have been the designer that made sure that wasn't going to happen. You could have been the guy that just tracked the whole thing and made sure that baby made it out into the world. You missed one link. And it happens all the time. And it's Mm -hmm. not horrible, but it happens. Yeah, this this goes back to wearing that producer hat, right? Like tracking tasks, checking disciplines outside, and making sure that they are unblocking the other people that are waiting for assets and things like this. You talked about selling and documenting and things like that. And so... In the little bit that I've been doing this and having conversations with people, every everybody has their, their own particular tool or way to convey ideas. And I'm curious, what, what have you found, right? Because at Rockstar, Rockstar was a different beast, right? Rockstar, we, we you know, we our tools were so powerful that we can kind of just like build the thing and put it in your hands in a controller and be like, hey, how's that feel good? Okay, cool. Let's iterate. But... At other places I've been since then, right, it's much more you're in the paper world, you're in the PowerPoint world, you're in the flowchart world. Curious what you have found to be your preferred way of conveying design and and ideas and things like that. Nothing beats the utility of a whiteboard. Ooh, whiteboard. I get asked, not all the time, but frequently enough, like, hey, if I want to break into the industry, like, what is the best skill set I could have? And sure, like you and I were brought up on coding, on coding and yeah. being able to execute and just build it. 
super technical designers, I would mm-hmm. say. Programmers. We were brought up as programmers that both come into the design world. Gameplay programmers, man. Yeah. So yeah. my advice to new designers trying to enter the industry, really, this is pretty broadly applicable. You need two skills. You need to be able to convey an idea on a whiteboard and sell people on that idea. I don't care if it's a stick figure fighting in a dot world, <laughs> as long as it conveys what you're trying to sell. And this gets back to the salesperson thing, but as long as you can convey to other people, like this is what I'm trying to do. And this is the genius behind this idea. Mm-hmm. Like, cool. You need to be able to do that. Secondly, you need to be a person. <laughs> what does that mean? Ryan? Of course we're people. No, not all people are people. It's the idea of like, you can be the most technically savant person out there. You could be an awesome programmer. You could be an awesome artist. But if you're not sociable, if you're not well-rounded, like I can't train you to be a person. I can train tools. I can train you to script. I can train you to to code to some extent. It's kind of gotten away from me in later years. I can train you to draw stick figures on a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. But I can't train you to be a communicative, somewhat outgoing personality. I say somewhat because we're all truly introverts, as you called out at the onset of the program, John. Like we're We're all truly a little introverted, if not a lot introverted. But yeah. you've got to be capable of talking to others you've got to be capable of working with others and you've got to be someone that when i talk to you i can say like yeah i would go get a beer with this person and talk the industry talk games talk what are you doing this weekend like i want to hang out with this person that's what makes the best team that's what makes the best ic that's what makes the best employee in the games Mm -hmm. industry is is a person who other people can relate to, other people can talk to, and other people can share with. Because in the end, again, you called this out earlier, man, like you're going to be in the trenches. This mm. is going to be a, a band of brothers situation yeah. at some point, and we're all going to have to be in that trench with each other's backs, and you're going to have to trust the person on your right and the person on your left. And if you can't trust the person on your right, that's really going to hurt that person on your right more than it's going to hurt you. Mm. So being just a well-rounded, sociable person. It was recent. We had the conversation about, you know, 2020 was a great year for games, not necessarily for the world, but a great year for games and and the outlet of letting people connect and escape and all of the in-between. I didn't really hear of any massive layoffs except for like Google Stadia with their short-sighted strategy and closing down the homies studio Montreal, (laughs) which I'm never going to let them forget. That was super unfortunate. I really, really loved the pitch of Stadia, the idea Mm -hmm. of Stadia going, go buy this $50 to $100 console with a controller and for a low, low price of $9.99 a month or free, you just get access to games. Like you just get it. No console limitation, right? Destiny 2 made out pretty good off of that Stadia deal. Yeah, I was proud to see Destiny 2 be part of that whole thing. Like, that seemed like such a promising future. And it still does, to be clear. Like, I still think that idea has legs. Oh, yeah. You know, they closed down all their first party, and they're just going to cash in on third-party production. 
I'm just, I would be so scared to be a third party person in that world, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like you see Stadia, this awesome promising thing, a company like Google throwing its weight behind it. And then all of a sudden, some of that weight is lost to intermittent fasting. <laughs> like, oh, that's a good way to put it i'm i'm really bummed out for for my peers over at those first party studios because yeah. i really believed in it and i actually wanted to be a part of that ecosystem i applied over there for mm. a bit hey dude i i've always had aspirations to get my name on a google business card <laughs> as well man <laughs> yo for real i'm like you know now they've lost credibility to me man I'm like yo you want to come talk to me about games i don't trust you google you don't know what it takes man say what you want about amazon's games at least they're writing it through they're they're fucking gonna see this shit through no matter where <laughs> it ends up <laughs> they're gonna see this shit through i am very glad that they're still pushing through a new world because that <laughs> is the first mmo in a while that i'm like no, this has this could have some legs for me. And I played the beta, which mm-hmm. admittedly I think was a year or two ago now. Yeah, the first one. And they had some weird vibes in there that I cannot get behind. Yeah, I'm curious because you you would be a resource I would hit up for any kind of MMO recommendations, right? Like, hey, did you find any sticky aspects to New World? Because that's going to make or break it, right? Is there anything about New World that you saw promise in for longevity's sake, right? Something to keep you coming back to. So it had a lot of aspects of trying to be a super social MMO. Yeah. Like there was a lot of community building. Like you have your little town, you have, Mm -hmm. everyone has their role, everyone's doing a thing. And it's kind of a, a symbiotic relationship and that open world MMO aspect. And I only briefly got into that in the beta. Like I joined a town and I was, I want to say a weaponsmith or blacksmith. I can't remember what they called it exactly. And it took me back to Star Wars Galaxies days. of like, I am in this world and I do this thing and that's my role. I was a weaponsmith back then. Maybe that's why I gravitated towards it. But I was a weaponsmith in Star Wars Galaxies and I wasn't the best but I was good and I was fairly priced. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I carved out an identity in this world. The first time I've seen that since has been New World. Now, I don't know how the game has morphed and changed since then. Like I said, this has been a while. Maybe that aspect doesn't exist anymore, but Mm -hmm. that is the kind of game that speaks to me of like, you have this MMO world, you build this circle of friends and you have an identity in this world because i think that is the most important part and not just an mmo but really any game you come across yes is your personal identity and maybe that's why single player open world games kind of speak to me like the red deads like the kingdom comes skyrims as well as the mmos that more speak to that aspect like you don't get to build yourself it's not about building you it's about building a person Mm -hmm. from the ground up Man, I don't know if I've ever realized this about myself until I said it now. <laughs> Some of the self-realizations, it, it's powerful, man, and it, and it's helpful, right? I always tell everybody, thank you for coming on, sharing your experience for the benefit of others. There's a secret 
benefit for yourself, really, as you talk about these things, maybe not this year, but maybe in a year or two or five from now, when you go back and listen to this, you can recollect of where you were and take inventory and be like, oh shit, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize these connections, right? So it's, it's cool. It's cool, Ryan. I, I'm glad to hear there's some benefit because it's, yeah. it, I always kind of tell people that, hey man, it's more, you're giving of yourself for the betterment of the industry down the line, but it's super cool if there's some self-benefit too. Yeah, I mean, COVID has been, I want to say COVID has been the year, but it's carried on for much longer than that now. But it's Fuck been that. the time of self-realization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of that, bro. A lot of, uh, what do they call it, self-reflection. Yeah, like the first time I realized that in seven months, it's going to be 15 years. Yeah. The first time I kind of realized I'm not a kid anymore. I'm getting old. <laughs> we still have our best creations ahead of us. We're not even close, man. There's still so much more left for us to give to this industry. That is really a great way to put it. I love that, John. <laughs> we ain't done shit yet, Ryan. Whoa, we ain't whoa, whoa, done whoa. shit yet. We've done some shit. But you only need that so that you can then know that, like, yeah, you've done some shit, but you're going to do more shit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we, ain't, we ain't done, man. There's, there's a lot of more problems to fix and resolve. And like you said, back to your point, like this shared world shooter space is super young. Oh, yeah. Shared world shooters are just in their nascent stages. And there's not been someone to take Destiny's throne. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there have been several solid attempts. Even I was excited for Anthem. I wanted to see their reboot, man. Their reboot yes, me and you t- was going to be awesome. Like, okay, cool. Get that out in the world. Get yeah. us your vision. Because I realized that game was probably a little rushed, a little harried. Mm-hmm. And it oh, wasn't yeah. what anyone wanted it to be. It didn't hit that chef's kiss. Yeah. And, and- game. And yo, like, there's still so much market share left, right? If if one person is doing it first person, there's another market that is all about that third person. And I felt that's what Anthem had. And we can look back and identify where Destiny was when they first came out and see where they ended up being many years later when it finally kind of hit the initial vision or the initial goal, right? It took support. It took a bigger team. It took more hands on that, right? And so I was on the team of like, yo, let's support it. Let's get it to where it can be. And powers that be said otherwise. (laughs) It's really weird because the industry we live in feeds so much off the social media hype beast. And you go to the Reddits, you go to the Facebooks, and you see a lot of negative commentary about maybe it's the game you worked on or really it's any game. Yeah. And it's such a weird thing to see someone want a game to die. Yeah, that's like, true. Just, just to be that commenter that's like, what, people still play this game? What, this dead game? Like, this is the games industry. You should be happy that so many people are playing that game. They might not be playing with you. You might not dig on that. But do you hate checkers because chess came out? <laughs> I, don't, I, I actually don't know who came first. But you get it. That's a good one. There's no reason to hate X because you love Y. Like, you're never going to convince someone that what they like is wrong. Yeah. I spent a little time getting to know the marketing side of things. (laughs) And when it was like, hey, you know, I worked on GTA, blah, blah, they would always come over and be like, yes, you can look at a GTA and be like, oh, shit, I got to get the hell out of the way of that release window. I don't want to be next to a GTA when it hits the market. (laughs) 
But what actually the perception was from the marketing standpoint of all the other studios, it was like, yes, whenever a GTA or a Destiny or a Halo hits the market, what it does is it creates this ground shaking earthquake that expands the games industry. The number of gamers that are playing games from 10 million, 20 million to another magnitude, right? So it's it's always, it's a, I don't know what they call it, bro, but there's some type of like something event. Butterfly effect? Fuck it. I'll I'll ride with that. Let's call it a butterfly effect. That then all of a sudden you have new eyes that had either outgrown or were not paying attention or were caught up in some other thing that are like, oh, I want to go buy a console or upgrade my PC or subscribe to cloud gaming and pick up a controller and check this thing out, right? I still would never want to release a game season expansion within a week of a Red Dead GTA Destiny Mm. launch. I wouldn't want to do that because all the oxygen in the room is going to be somewhat diminished, at least by those titles. I mean, look back at Red Dead. The, The one Red Dead went up against was Alan Wake, which was a solid title. Actually, as well, now that I'm on the inside, I like to nudge this. It was basically Mass Effect 2 or Red Dead going up for all those 2010 Game of the Year awards, right? But even the devs of Alan Wake came out and said, hey, we would have done better had Red Dead not shipped the same day or week. I can't remember which. Mm -hmm. They said that publicly. Like... (laughs) We would have done better had this not happened at the same time. So there's not a whole lot of upside to releasing the same day or week. It was literally the same week because we came out May 10th and Alan Wake was May 14th. Oh, that was a solid game. I played Alan Wake. I love Remedy games. You know what I'm saying? I love Remedy games. I love the shit out of control. That was an awesome game. I have it now that it's on Game Pass, which by the way is the newest, most phenomenal thing (laughs) you can be a part of. And I'm not saying that because I work at Microsoft. I'm saying that because for $15 a month, you get like a bajillion D games. I don't even know how many. And you get a free complimentary EA Play subscription right along with that, right? So it's all good. We all winning. I bought Squadrons the week before that was announced, and I did not know that was going to happen. But I bought Squadrons because I love me some VR, and I love me some dogfight sims. Dude, that game is so much better in the goggles. What goggles do you have? What what do you play, John? I got my PSVR goggles, and I have my Vive goggles. And for whatever reason, bro, like my rig is badass, and it runs way better. My computer setup is not as comfortable as my couch and PS setup, man. I am lately a PC player at heart, man. I would say you've been PC primarily. I think you might be right. (laughs) I've had a preference for PC games pretty much throughout. I don't fully know why, because you're right. Uh, console is a more comfortable way to be. I have a bigger screen. I have a better setup. But I'm still predominantly a PC gamer. Everybody has their preferences. I've always noticed that you are super adept of like jumping in and around of, of a game or web browser or whatever the hell, bro. You're able to just like alt tab, play a game, jump in, jump out, like no problem. And I don't know, I don't know why. It's just like <laughs> I like to I like to punish myself and have to load things up and wait for a front end and download updates and all this nonsense. You know what? It's the noob in me, John. It's because 
on my first monitor, which needs to be at least a 4K monitor, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got to rock the game. I got to rock the game. But on my second monitor, I'm over on whatever that game's wiki is, trying oh. to look at, like, how the shit do I do this quest? There it is. And, and it's core. Like, I am a hardcore gamer on the left and a complete <laughs> noob on the right. I like it, dude. I like it. And that's how I roll, man. Hey, man and maxing, you're making the most out of every second you're spending in an experience to get the most benefit out of it. I like it. Well, and you and I talked about this before, but, like, it's real hard to get into serious games anymore. It's easier to jump into the the Hades, the Among Us, the Hades, Hades, Hades. Oh my God, that game is so good, so, it's good, so bro. good. The art style, just I, I want to just cry blood. It just <laughs> it's that game. <laughs> I've always been a super giant fan since Bastion. I think I bought Transistor, and I always been meaning to get to Pyre. And then Hades came out on the Switch, and it was the perfect timing and the perfect storm. I was like, yes, a little mobile thing that I can take with me, and it looks comparable to what it looks like on the consoles and PC, and, and I was in. I was hooked. I was hooked. I played so much Bastion, and for whatever reason, I just couldn't vibe with Transistor. Me? I'm, I'm right there with you. Right there with you. I'm not going to lie. I'm just looking up Pyre right now, <laughs> and I should have gotten on this. Should have. But I didn't, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't quite understand why. Hey, that's the benefit. So let's highlight that aspect of you're a studio who is known for certain things, and you just keep banging out your formula or keep holding true to your DNA, and your catalog will eventually persist. Players will come back to your catalog, maybe not right away, but they will get there. So as a director on this game that will hopefully go on for the life cycle of the console and beyond, I think you're going to always be looking for new talent or helping as people in your team grow up to other levels and moving on to other aspects of the game or maybe the next project. What do you look for when you're bringing people onto your team or when you're hiring or when you're interviewing? So the number one thing I look for in in a person I want to bring onto my team, I don't even consider the role. I go back to the I want a person on okay. the team. Okay. Because you can largely train any skill set in the industry. You can train scripting. You can train uh, whiteboarding. You can train a lot of things. But what you can't train is the, hey, do I want to hang out with this person outside work? Like, yep. are we at that level? And irregardless of whether or not I actually hang out with you outside work, that speaks to something that says that I want to be around you long term. Mm -hmm. Which making a game, man, it's, it's years, years oh, yeah. and years. We're going to be around each other for a long time. So you better be able to be that person I want to be around. Yeah. Second to that is I like to establish how people feel about flexibility. And, and generalization, because we are largely an industry of specialists. And I know we don't like to admit that. We like to feel like, well, we're all kind of flexible uh -huh. to some degree. But to be brutally honest, we are only flexible insofar as it relates to our core common area. Mm -hmm. So if you're a scripter, well, you're just kind of always going to embrace scripting languages or coding languages or things like that. If you're 
a, a programmer, like you're not probably going to lower yourself to the ranks of the designers and things like that. <laughs> there, but, there's a few that like to make the jump over. Oh, absolutely. And those, that's literally the thing I like to see mm. is the person that is willing to make the jump between things. Like we are a very flexible industry and you have to be able to say like, well, I want to be here, but the, the industry needs me here. So let me flex myself in such a way that I can realize both because oh, yeah. personal goals are still super strong. I am a strong believer in making sure you, you find yourself in the industry and that you're yeah. not killing yourself, that this is still a gratifying industry to be in. So you always have to find yourself, but being flexible, being fungible, being a little more generic in your skill set mm -hmm. is super prized. Just because that is the kind of person I know I can present with a challenge and they will rise to it. It's awesome. not necessarily me saying, hey, I need you over here, so go be over here for a little bit. It's no, mm -hmm. no, no. I say, man, we have this problem and I don't know how to deal with it. Hey, Org, what do you think about this? And you're the person who says, I would love to take that on. I would love to tackle that and then get back to my core role and responsibilities because this is where I want to be. And always right. make sure to include that second part. The because this is where I want to be is super important because I want you to be flexible. I want to know I can count on you to tackle important spur of the moment challenges. But I also need to know where you're going to land longer term and where you want to be so that I can keep that up in the noodle and say – okay, cool, we're going to make you do this real quick. You're going to deal with achievements. You're going to deal with something not super sexy that isn't the core game. That's not your responsibility set. I'm 100% with you is whenever I'm sitting across the table looking at somebody's resume, listening to their story, drilling them on the thing, I want to see someone who's curious right? Someone who can lift an eyebrow when it's something they don't know, right? I'm always drilling in an interview. I want to keep drilling until I find something you're not a professional at or an expert at and see how you treat that, right? Oh, I don't know about AI systems or behavior trees. I'm curious about those. I, I know a little bit. I'd like to learn more. I'd, I'd welcome an opportunity, right? Like I like how halos captains and grunts behave with each other right um so so that's the type of thing i look for and i'm, I'm with you 100 right i want to see somebody who's curious who wants to reach over their immediate comfort zone well, well let, let me ask you this john and i hate to interrupt you but uh when you graduated from full sale what did you want to be where did you see yourself fitting in man that's a good one ryan honestly I thought I was going to be like a UI or tools programmer is what I thought I was going to be, man. So I was only kind of applying for programmer jobs. And that's what I was sending my resume. Okay. I did the same. When I came out of Full Sail, I was pretty good at network and optimization programming. Hey, that's but, a special skill set, man. That'll get you some yeah, big bucks. Absolutely. But then to that point, you went to Rockstar no, you went to Midway first. Yeah, Midway first. I took DJ's vacant seat when he jumped from Midway to <laughs> Rockstar. There was a, a wide open seat, and I managed to get in at the perfect time. But then you came to Rockstar, mm -hmm. and I know we build you as more of a mini games 
Uh, I was mission, mission. You were you were a technical scripter though, speaking broadly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And one of our technical scripting specialists. Yep, 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 yep. And now, what are you, John? Describe your role to me. I am a technical designer on the engine team. So you're technically a designer on the engine team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, man. It's but that's the that's exactly what I mean. Is everyone point. in the industry has this vision of where they think they slot in best. Yep. And more and more people are finding slash need to be open to the fact that other people might see this spark in you, this this role you play that you don't necessarily see. You need to be willing to embrace that and always speak to your history. Always mm-hmm. speak to where you came from, your, your desire to be a UX UI programmer. Mm-hmm network programmer you will always have that that's not going to disappear overnight it may wane over the years yeah (laughs) that's interesting you 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 bring that up right because it was like i never would have applied for a game design job even though you know a good third of our curriculum at full sale taught us design you know to say tools programmer ui programmer right lends itself pretty well to where the hell I ended up being a technical designer on an engine team, right? Like really trying to hone in on UX design and make improving workflows for the studio designers or whatever. Well, that's what I'm saying is realize when other people identify opportunities in you Mm -hmm. and do not be scared of those. Don't necessarily embrace them on day one, but be open to the consideration, be open to the flexibility you may have. Yeah. And just embrace the fact that this is a rapidly shifting industry. And just because you may want to be a UX UI programmer doesn't mean that you're not going to be an awesome technical designer and Mm -hmm. may rejoin those ranks one day. It's true, man. Like UX, when I see UX design as a thing, that wasn't around when we were looking at jobs or roles. So to your point, look at roles holistically, right? And and apply to them, right? If you meet any requirements or criteria or it interests you, apply to them because and be willing to learn for sure. Well, and that that speaks to getting hired in the industry too. The only reason I got in at Rockstar was because I saw a role that I wanted, wasn't necessarily a good fit for. I think I applied for gameplay programmer. Which is what the hell I would say we were doing. Yeah, exactly. But someone saw something in me only because I applied for that role Uh and I was offered a technical designer position. Who did you interview with? Oh, gosh. I'm sure Alan was in there. I remember Alan Blaine. Tom Shepard. Christian Cannon Mesa. I want to say Tom was there. When I went through, Tom and Alan did my technical side and then like Christian and Tony did my design side. Tony? You had Tony Galland? Well, because I got there pretty late, right? Like, so the Leeds guys was already on board, and Tony was like head multiplayer, right? So oh, I had. Man, I thought you were earlier than that. I'm sorry. Oh, nah, man. I was like, <laughs> uh, what, June 2009, May 2009, I think. Oh, man. So you got a credit under your belt in a year? Fuck you. Hey, <laughs> hey, I was in there for the whole polished production, man. Hey, we all worked on that game. It was a band of brothers feeling. Yes, it was. And that wasn't bad. It was not healthy, but it wasn't (laughs) bad. Hey, we paid our dues and and it's paid off because 
that thing on my resume and the experience we chalked up, we can speak to anybody anywhere that wants to know how these games are built. And we can immediately carve ourselves a little role on the I team. I won't even bill it as an experience because, yes, it was. I learned so much oh, during yeah, that too. time frame. Yes. But when you frame it as an experience, that frames it like, well, I would never go back to that. I've done that once. Like, I think it's at the point now where I would look back at Rockstar San Diego and say, I could work there and want to be at that place. You could, you could bring back your experience outside to help them grow you would help them grow it's tough because their formula as loose as, as it may be makes the best games in the industry or some of the best games in the industry i i like their tools man i, I haven't seen a better tool set <sighs> i've never had so much scripting power <laughs> they were scripting network handshakes <laughs> on the multiplayer back end yo i was i had access to like the headset like easy when i would be like oh if i'm online i could i could pick up you know it was binary it was like hey are you making sound or not but uh you know that was enough to <laughs> promote open world sex worker gameplay right wow that's those are words you can apply to what you were doing for those of you who don't know our dear friend john here worked at the uh strip club for the better part of multiple years <laughs> Making sure that digital titties got put up on screen. No. Shout out to Barton. Shout out to Evan. They had big hands on those fronts. We had a super robust tool set there. Wherein scripting could do almost as much as programming dot 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 would enable us to do. It's crazy. Because I'll never I'll never say that we had more power than Crehan sure. or Tom Shepard or or Frederick. Like, yeah. Oh, oh man. Shout out to Frederick Farnstrom. Yo, he damn. I still connect with Mike regularly on social media and I run into Tom all the time. I feel like you have to just because Mike will get in your face if you don't connect with him. Right That's now. true. And, and shout out to I Mike, love, man. I love Crehan though. Oh, shout out yo, Crehan's the man, dude. That guy's like directing movies on his spare time and he's in heaven at Google. He's a senior software engineer Boom. at Google. He's living the good life, living that catered food life, taking shuttles to work. I hope he's not there long enough for catered food because catered food is one of those like blessings and a curse. Well, convince me otherwise, bro. <laughs> I had the fortune to visit a few times. And so their lunch is a fully staffed catered kitchen. We have uh, that at Microsoft too. What I want to zero in on is their bar. <gasps> have you been no. to the bar in Fremont? I know the Google buildings on this yep. side of Lake Union. Yeah, just as you get north over the bridge, uh -huh. you go boop, immediately to your left, there's the Google facility. Wait, but is the bar open to like non-Googlers? No. Okay, no. okay. Go. I had I had a producer friend who walked me through there, and you have to go through a secret door. But Google has a fully stocked, by employees, mind you. I, I feel like Google kicks some things in, but a fully stocked bar there. Oh, say no more. I don't know how they encourage or discourage. Sure. They got to balance it out. Participation. <laughs> but uh, I would participate. Heck yeah, dude, with your little monthly if subscription. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't like a Snoqualmie to Fremont Dang. commute, which is the only thing worse than my current commute. Dude, so that makes sense, man, because Schling Cider House is there. That's my. I love that place. 
and then Fremont Brewing is not too far from there. So I'm sure they're kind of like the two primary suppliers for the Google stockpile. That's I want to say, dude, you should hit up, yeah, the Barrel Thief. Oh, oh, I love me some Barrel Thief. I love Good. me some Barrel Thief. Man, I miss, I miss your neck of the woods. I'm not going to lie. Eventually, one day, man, you can come see the house. And then we can go walk down and get some libations. I want to come see you. I want to give a hug slash high five to Catherine, depending on how familiar she is with me and how many drinks she, she's had at the time. She remembers you fondly. And I want to give Maui a pet. Oh, yeah. He's just the goodest boy. <laughs> <laughs> he loves that shit. That just shit sends his little Australian shepherd <laughs> tail waggling. I like the way that... You know, just being curious, being open, being flexible makes you the great just overall team player. Yeah, just open your eyes to the opportunities a bit around you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't don't be so kind of tunnel vision. Yeah, uh, like you sure. got hired to do a thing, but this is a whole game. Let's talk about the whole game. Yeah. Teammates and managers will often reward you and give you a chance to to broaden out and explore these areas, right? Because ultimately it's all about growth and bringing value to the project. When you are looking to join a design team, a games team, you know, what, what's kind of like the biggest tip you would offer? Ooh. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna zero in on the games team bit there because this is the one I see that struggles the most. We're a passion-based industry and I, I mm. talked about that a bit earlier. So everyone has a tendency to over zero in on their area and making sure that this guy's doing the right thing and this person's doing the right thing and marketing is doing the right thing and making sure everything comes together exactly as someone would expect, exactly to their specifications. You need to pull back a step. You need to trust the process. You need to trust your peers. Everyone around you was hired because they are good at their jobs and they are better than you are at their jobs. You need to make them aware. You need to educate them on what it is you're doing, not what it is you're trying to do, but what it is you're actually doing. And then trust them, trust them. They're going to take that vision forward and manufacture the best possible marketing campaign best possible community response, best possible engineering effort. Like Mm. realize that you are a person in this process and you've got the, the vision you're going for, but everyone else is better at their jobs than you could be. So trust the process, trust your peers. That has been beaten into me over the years. And it is the most true thing I've ever realized is don't, expend too much energy trying to massage or bend or break mm-hmm. what your peers are doing. And by peers, I mean everyone from marketing to QA to engineering to design. Like you have to trust everyone involved in the process. You cannot assume that you know better than them because they are experts in their areas. Dude, I love that, man. That That's powerful because I've definitely been on teams where directors or producers want to micromanage they want to get in there and they want to have final say because 
they feel like the success of the project is on their shoulders, right? They're the ones that have to go back to HQ and explain why the game is in the state it's in, right? So I love you as a director who's learned this time and time again and carried it with him. That yo, know, it's all about trusting your team, right? You've put in the legwork to go through the resume, put them through the interview process, onboard them, integrate them into the team, empower them, give them ownership, trust them to do their job and and definitely challenge them, definitely sit with them, make them stand up and advocate for the state of the thing that they're building. Absolutely. But then take it from there and carry that flag and take it to HQ and take it to the publishing team and be like, hey, Brian Parody, live services director and his team built it this way to serve this purpose. And this is what we're banking on. And I'm backing them up. Right. And like, boom, you know, absolutely. You've got a vision in your head. You've got the best possible player experience in your head. You need to sell that up to your director above you Mm. as the like, no, this is where we're going to land. This is what I want things to be like. And I've got, I've got all these gears moving. Give that to them because that empowers them to go beyond and say, whoa, 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 no, I'm stopping your direction here. I'm going to let X, Y, and Z go do their thing because this is their vision. Mm-hmm. And if you can't supply that vision, you've just made their job impossible. Yeah. So you need to trust the process, trust your peers, but you need to supply your peers with the ammo necessary to realize your vision, realize what it is you're trying to do. And God forbid hmm. they try and question it. That is just something you should talk through this thing. You work with your peers through your experience because maybe they have better ideas. Maybe they don't. Maybe your ideas can't be executed in the time box you have. That's totally fine because yeah. things get backlogged. They don't get cut. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, man. It's not it's not a battle royale, last man standing wins thing. It's a the game of design is an awesome game of. It's not a game. It's a boxing match. <laughs> You've got to go twelve rounds. But no, and that's that True. sounds like you're gonna take a lot of punches to the face. You're not gonna take a lot of punches to the face. You're you're gonna be dealt with some unfortunate circumstances. Now, all you've got to do is reflect internally. And say, well, how could I make this better? Better does not always mean better as in let's execute more features. It yeah. means better as in how can I support my engineers? How can I realize the struggles we are under as a design, as a QA team, as an yep. art team, any team that you're a part of? Because you are part of a game team. You're not part of a design or engineering or art or QA team. How can I realize the struggles that my team is going through and play my part in those struggles? Make sure that I am building a bridge through those struggles, not not something people have to struggle through. Yeah, man, the, the, you, you're, you're functioning as the glue, right? We go back to designers are the glue, bringing all these disciplines and departments together, yeah. bringing that vision forward for sure, man. I like, I like your boxing analogy, right? Like... Uh, you can look at it as, hey, there's one 
champ and there's constant challengers coming in so it's there's a current best design idea and and you can definitely uh use the metaphor of of iteration is is challengers coming into the ring and roughing up the champ and and sculpting and molding and going to the body and and at the end of the day either there's a new champ or the champ is much more hardened right and so the idea or the ultimate implementation is is the best thing for the project and for the player base or whatever yeah and and this is a gross term in the industry and i want to introduce this here and now do it embrace the mvp and when i say mvp it's not most valuable player it's minimum viable product and that inherently sounds gross like right off the right off the board you're like whoa wait a minute i've got to think in terms of product and minimum and viable that's that's not like blockbuster triple a multi-million playing game Zack snyder doesn't have to deal with this shit he gets to make a four hour and two minute movie that i'm gonna go watch in just a few moments no it's it's minimum viable product because that is the minimum bar this feature is willing to accept to get out the door and anything below that we should just cut it okay so when i say that it's like look at your mini game what is the barest possible form of this you could ship and still make players happy because that is the number one metric above anything else it doesn't matter what anyone else says that is the number one metric What is the minimum thing you could ship to increase that while still maintaining the fact that we need to ship this? And if you can't meet that, well, then you should just cut the feature. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Like, what is is the feature or game mode in its leanest, right? Like, what's the minimum to have fun, to be a challenge, to be something that invites players back? Yes. And what's the fat that doesn't have to be there right what's like oh i need more dialogue or i need more vfx or i need these other like 10 different levels or whatever every dialogue every vfx every design spec every mini game every mission every feature in a game every game has an mvp and it's it's not it might not be communicated across the same terms Mm -hmm. but everyone knows what you're saying when you say MVP of this is the bare minimum we could yeah. ship to do the things you've asked us to do to hit our goals. Don't view that as the enemy. View that as an opportunity to draw clarity to your design, to your execution, to your art, to your implementation of effects, mm-hmm. implementation of anything to say, this is the bare minimum I think we can do before it starts to be a negative. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Because that, at the end of the day, you are the expert in your field. You should be capable of saying those things and you should be capable of having people listen to you. It's easy to come with like a thousand page manifesto <laughs> and it's it's hard and challenging to have a 50 page super compelling nonstop thrill ride read from beginning to end right it's hard john diaz i'm gonna rail against you in that one independent of whether you're at a thousand pages or 50 pages i am not gonna read your shit (laughs) if you can't sell me on your vision within one page you need to gtfo because i do not have time to read 50 pagers 
by 50 people every single day. <laughs> Amen to the one pager for the sake of our time and sanity. And even hey, to the resume, bro. Like if you can't get your shit down in one page, it, it's not good. We espouse the one pager at Rockstar. But the one pager had to include everything from vision to goals to gameplay walkthrough to to things we're leaving off the table in a page, mm -hmm. which is not a lot of words considering you can't make it four-point font like you did your resume the first time you walked through it. Yeah, it's like old college essays. Man. <laughs> By the way, your first out-of-college resume should not be in four-point font. Don't fucking do that. <laughs> My eye's not that good anymore, bro. <laughs> exactly. The guy who's going to read this is John's age, which is approximately <laughs> 47 years old at best. <laughs> oh, shit. Be able to communicate your design, your whatever the shit you're doing clearly, succinctly to get people to buy in. Later, later go develop the 20-page design manifesto, the, the engineering manifesto. I can't think of a better word. Manifesto is a manifesto. good word. <laughs> I, I, I put it out there now and now it's stuck. Hey, man, I had, a, I had a blast with you, Ryan. I always love talking shop with old rock star brethren and then seeing where you guys have gone on in the industry we had some good times at rockstar we i don't know how we made it through that rockstar red dead redemption push man so there was a period and i'm gonna give a shout out here uh there was a period that was pretty dark at rockstar and we we picked up some good humors some good rituals with our new studio leader who was gordon hall and he's recently passed and i kind of want to give a shout out to him he inspired many of the designers at rockstar in so many different ways and it was a brighter time under his purview influential and he did so many good things for that studio so i want to give a shout out to him the late gordon hall a lot of people would say we should have a white russian in his honor that is very apt. That was his favorite drink, and I will go forth and have a white Russian in his honor. Bet. So I know where this is going to go, having listened to past podcasts, and I want to nominate someone here. John? Okay, shit, man. I don't even got to say anything. Who I'm going to nominate someone who I think uh, learned a bit from Gordon Hall and was there along with the Red Dead design crew the whole way, helping us close out the best possible design experience. I'm going to throw Anthony Gowland in the hat for the next one. Ooh, I man. I learned a lot from this guy. He has now gone on to do some amazing things, and I've played many of his games. He just released something, I think, two weeks ago. Well, on the Switch? He did like a Switch port or something? He did, I think, the John Wick. I think <gasps> he was in the John Ooh. Wick port. Yo, I, I would love to bring him on, not only to talk about like GTA, you know, mobile Liberty City stories and Chinatown Wars, but I, I, I'd be happy to have a whole episode just talking about John Wick as a, as a, <laughs> as a character, man. I, I'd be happy to have a whole podcast talking about John Wick's dog. <laughs> Yo! That was the match for so many fires. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw Tony Gelland in there as the next possible inclusion in this podcast, just because he's shaped me as a great designer. He was always there when I've asked anything of him, and he's mm -hmm. gone on to do some phenomenal things. And in keeping with 
Gordon Hall's passing. I know he worked heavily with Gordon Hall. Yeah. That would be that would be a phenomenal opportunity. Dude, thank you for blessing me with that opportunity, man. I I, <laughs> I I would definitely I was looking for an excuse to reconnect with Anthony and and that's gonna be dope. Because what I liked about him was that he he was even keel, man, and, and you we had every reason to be emotional and I don't we know. were all very fiery at the time. Yes. yes. As much as Gordon helped continue those flames and keep <laughs> us fiery towards our passion. Yes. Tony was always there to help guide our flames into something that was execution oriented, mm-hmm. something that was refined to the razor's edge that is a rock star game. Bro, that's all I ever want out of any director, right? It's like, yo, guide me tone my passion in the direct in the right direction channel it channel Absolutely. it for betterment and I'd, I'd carry his uh his lessons forward to this day all right tony i'm coming for you bro you're gonna be the next guy to fall out of play area so <laughs> ryan bro it's been an absolute blast how can the listeners out there keep in touch with you see what you're working on uh and things like that well i've still had the blessing of being on some high profile stuff so you can always catch up on Halo Infinite at uh, HaloWaypoint.com. If you want to interact with me personally, I am a poor but will attempt to get better LinkedIn user. Uh, so reach out to me there. I don't think I'm that obfuscated. So, yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'll be there. Perfect, man. LinkedIn profile and Halo Infinite website will be in the show notes. Click on those things. Brian, bro, you have the lifetime pass to come back on whenever the hell you ship that beast. I'll be curious to bring you back on, see how it went. Any last words for the listeners? I have two, John. Number one, I want to be the Andy Richter when you bring on Tony Galland, if only to shout at him from the couch. Number two, this is your passion. Embrace your passion. Embrace your personality at the same time. You always want to be cognizant of your life, of your limits as a human being. Draw passion from what you're doing, but blossom that passion into what you're being. And that's all I got. Mic drop, man. (laughs) What what you do into what you be. I like it. That's deep. All right, brother. Till next time, my friend. Until next time, my friend. Uh, This was awesome. I've loved the time here i've loved everything we've talked about i can't wait till we can do this again and i can't wait till i can be your andy richter (laughs) boom i can't plan these things any better somehow these guests this particular ryan always leaves us with some amazing gems there's a lot of good takeaways in this one and i'm curious what resonated with you a couple of points of emphasis for me were the delicate balance that we as well as I find myself teetering on is sticking with what you know and being an IC meaning an independent contributor and always relying on what you know being able to get hands on you know just make things happen and make the game or product better by iterating on it and using your technical know-how versus that hard step for many of us I'd love to talk to people who it just comes natural to is learning to let go and take a step back and 
using your team as your hands, working through them and playing a more strategic and managerial role, you know, playing tank for all those meetings and championing the vision and most importantly, guiding your team, uh, allowing them to harness their strengths while working on the weaknesses and letting them get all the shine and continuously fighting your temptations on yourself getting in the pilot's seat and doing their work for them. The other one is the whole idea of scheduling and scoping and how no matter the fact that we all know better, we can't help the incessant desire we have to make the game all that it can be. I find myself these days repeating the mantra of less is more and that tried and true uh, ideal of addition by subtraction. I'd love to hear your experiences with those production challenges and that never ending ballad. I eagerly anticipate bringing Ryan back onto the show in the future and discussing what his boomerang back to Bungie was like on Destiny after leaving to work on Halo Infinite for 343 Industries and what that was like. On episode 21, we continue our QA appreciation and invite Angelica Vaca, a UX designer at Intercept Games, makers of Kerbal Space Program. And we go in on her journey into games, bobbing and weaving from desk jobs to QA contracts all around Seattle, then making the jump into UX design and more. Make sure you follow the podcast so that you don't miss out when that debuts on Monday, November the 8th. Thank you for listening, devs. If you found this informative, I ask that you pay a link forward to a developer to help grow our listener community, as well as everything grow. If you're a game developer of a story you think could help a fellow dev, please go to outofplayarea.com and click on the Calendly link at the top to meet up. Please make sure to get approval from your manager or studio's PR or HR team beforehand. Out of Play Area, the Game Devs podcast releases new episodes every other Monday on all the major players, including Spotify, Apple, Google. Please make sure to follow us to see what developer pushes Out of Play Area next time. Until then, I'm your host. Stay strong, stay true, stay dangerous. Mega Rand, bring them home. Fight attendants, prepare for takeoff. Captain crew, please take your seats. We are now about to enter the Out of Play Area. Yeah. If you can't reach me, I apologize. Since we out of play, I never compromise. John D, NYC, know we got the vibe. Make sure you hit that follow when you hit subscribe. Out of play area podcast. Out of play area podcast. It's just a little something for the game devs. Stay strong, stay true, and stay dangerous. Had to switch the styles for a challenge. Best thing out of Harlem since Young Miles Morales. A new podcast comes to provide the balance with game dev veterans and rising talents. Out of play. Welcome to the Out of Play Area Podcast, a show by game devs for game devs.